Round of applause. He's not guest anymore. He's family now. So, I love you, brother. Hey, I enjoyed that saxophone playing. That's awesome. And I hope that she continues in that gift. It's great to use your gifts for the Lord. The things that God has given you encourage all of your kids. She's not a kid anymore. She goes to college, but encourage all of your children to use their gifts for the Lord. I know, uh, you know, uh, I played saxophone for a little while when I was in band, and I know how hard that is. You have to really have a lot of air. Now, I'm a blowhard, and I've got a lot of air, but I just never really mastered the saxophone, so I finally laid that thing down. I want to, before I preach this morning, I want to take you back. She took me back with that song, Do Lord, Do Lord, Do Remember Me. That was a, I mean, when I was a little kid, we sang that song. But I want to take you back to an old hymn and sing it with you this morning. This is Victory in Jesus. We'll have our words up here in case you don't remember. But let's sing the chorus part of it to get us ourselves warmed up. I heard an old, old story How my Savior came from glory How He gave His life on Calvary To save a wretch like me I His groaning of His precious blood's atoning then I repented of my sins and won the victory. Oh, victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. He sought me and He bought me with His redeeming blood. He loved me ere I knew Him, and all my love is due Him. He plunged me to victory beneath the cleansing flood. I heard about a mansion He has built for me in glory. And I heard about the streets of gold beyond the crystal sea, about the angels singing and the old redemption story. And some sweet day I'll sing up there the song of victory. Oh, victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. He sought me and He bought me with His redeeming blood. He loved me ere I knew Him, and all my love is due Him. He plunged me to victory beneath the cleansing flood. Amen. Aren't you glad for the victory that you have in Jesus this morning? Thank you, Sister Marilyn. That was awesome. 
It's great to have a piano player. I was telling her before church, I was just over at uh, Murfreesboro Harvest Time, been doing some filling in work for them a little bit, and there's a piano player over there, and I told her after uh, service one day, I said, it's great that somebody can go back to the 1900s with me and just sing for a while. We sang, we sang a long time, sang a lot of old songs, and had a good time in altar service. I like some of those old songs I was raised on. I like to bring them back every once in a while and uh, sing those old things. Uh, I heard about a preacher, and he was getting ready to walk home from church. He had uh, gone to church with his wife, but they only lived a few blocks from home. He said, I'm in such a pretty day, I'm going to walk home. So he decided to walk home and uh, got about a couple blocks from his house. Saw a little boy out there just yanking as hard as he could on the lawnmower cord, trying to get that thing started. And that little boy, he must have been eight or nine years old, was just cussing, cussing like a sailor. And that preacher walks over there to that little boy, and he says to that little boy, he says, son, you can't be cussing like that. He said, that's, uh, that's not right for you to do that. And he said, what's the right way to cuss, preacher? And the preacher said, well... It's been so long, I wouldn't remember how to cuss anyway, son. And he said, well, yank on that cord a little while. You'll come back to you, preacher. <laughs> I don't know what that has to do with what I'm going to say this morning. I just thought I'd tell it to you today. I want to share with you this morning about a shipwreck and about being in a place where you need God. You're desperate. You've got to trust Him. You've got to hold his hand. We talked about that this morning. Matter of fact, the word that came forth, thank you for being uh, obedient to the Lord and the giving of tongues and interpretation this morning. I believe that word was in line with what I'm going to share with you this morning. For you to trust him, put your hand in his hand and walk with him and let him bless you. I used to drive all over Arkansas. I was came back from the military in 1994, came back in the Air Force, and I was working Trying to, I was studying for the ministry, and I was working as a school photographer. I didn't know how to be a school photographer, but they taught me. And so I drove down, as a matter of fact, drove to Monticello schools and took pictures in the schools with the LifeTouch company before it was LifeTouch. It used to be Davis Pack, and some of y'all might remember that. But uh, my boss, uh, uh, Mr. Davis and Mr. Pack, gave me a job. And I used to see a lot of bumper stickers. I'd sell the, the one that most of us have, something like Go Hogs, and that was a popular bumper sticker. And I saw some bumper stickers that said something like, you know, get in, sit down, buckle up, shut up. Uh, I saw some bumper stickers that said, I'd rather be riding my Harley. Uh, I'd rather be boating. But, you know, I never saw a bumper sticker that said, I'd rather be sinking. And it's hard at times to know what is happening in your life. Sometimes you feel as though you are sinking. You know, I've never heard anybody say, I want to be shipwrecked. The only time I've ever been on the ocean was Kim and I. We took a cruise from Florida. We went from Fort Lauderdale down to the Bahamas. And we got down to the Bahamas, and the water was so beautiful, we got down to what was called the Blue Lagoon. It's where they filmed that movie, The Blue Lagoon. They also filmed Gilligan's Island there, and they let us off for the day, and we got out, and we laid in that blue water, and you could that sand was just as wide as could be. That blue water was just like your average swimming pool. It was so clear and so beautiful, 
But I've never been in a ship that was being tossed all over the place by a storm. I've never been in a, a storm on the ocean. But I've heard stories about 50-foot-tall ocean waves that come and crash against the side of those ocean liners. I've heard about the wind that pelts the, the face and how the, the water will just come over the side. Even these giant, giant ocean liners, the boat that seemed so strong when you were in the calm and when the wind was calm, the water was calm, it seemed unassailable when you were on that boat. But they say when you get out in the middle of an ocean storm, you feel like you're floating on a toothpick in a toilet bowl because that water is just so powerful. It can do things to you even on a giant ocean liner. And so when you get back on dry ground, you know, you've been walking around during the storm, you've counted every life vest three or four times to make sure everybody's got one. But, you know, if you got back on dry ground, you'd, you'd walk over to the beach and you French kiss the beach and, say, beach and say, thank you, Jesus, for, you know, letting me back on dry ground. And if you see a rain puddle after that, you stay away from it for about six months because, you know, you're just sick of the water. You're sick of being in the ocean. Uh, you're sick of being in that kind of situation because you were at the complete mercy of a storm. Now, I haven't been in one. I've never been in an ocean storm but most of us know what it feels like to be in, a, in a, a storm in our life, a figurative storm. Most of us know what it feels like to, uh, to know people that are seeing a divorce on the horizon. And they are in the middle of the worst uh, storm of their lives. Or storms of cancer or disease that attack your body and come against you. It's hard to see the light when you're in the midst of the darkness. Or a storm of losing your job or trying to get a good job and you're holding on just barely financially. You feel like everything's spinning. I think most of us at one time or another, if you're old enough, you know that there are these storms that come and you can do nothing about it except just float in it, except just be at its mercy. And so I want to share with you because, you know, the boat of self-confidence is so strong when everything is at peace, I mean, here we are this morning, many of us may feel at peace where we are right now, but when you're in the midst of a storm of pain, of physical pain, or of some kind of enduring pain in your soul or your emotions, that's when it really seems as though the unassailable has become uh, vulnerable in your life. It's become fragile. So I want to share from the scriptures today how we can hold on when the storm comes from Acts chapter 27. I'm going to ask you to turn there. If you've got a Bible or if you have an electronic device, I'm sure that it will be here on the screen in just a moment. Acts chapter 27. And I want to share what uh, happened with the Apostle Paul as he was involved in a storm at sea. Verse 13, now I'm going to do something that many of you are going to groan about, but I'm going to ask you if you would, could you stand with me for the reading of the word? Now this is not the Hebrew phone book, this is just a little story that we've got to read, so I shouldn't stumble over it too long and keep you standing too long. Acts 27 verse 13, now when the south wind blew gently, supposing they had obtained their purpose, they weighed anchor and they sailed along Crete close to the shore. But soon a tempestuous wind called the Northeaster struck down from the land. And when the ship was caught and could not face the wind, 
We gave way to it and were driven along. Running under the lee of a small island called Kara, we managed with difficulty to secure the ship's boat. After hoisting it up, they used supports to undergird the ship. Then, fearing that they would run aground on the Sirtis, they lowered the gear. Thus, they were driven along. Since we were violently storm-tossed, they began the next day to jettison the cargo. And on the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, no small tempest lay on us. All hope of our being saved, look at this, was at last abandoned. Since they had been without food for a long time, Paul stood up among them said, Men, you should have listened to me, not have set sail from Crete and incurred this injury and loss. Yet now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For this very night there stood before me an angel of God, to whom I belong and to whom I worship. And he said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. And behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. So take heart, men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I've been told. But we must run aground on some island. When the fourteenth night had come, as we were being driven across the Adriatic Sea, about midnight the sailors suspended, or suspected, excuse me, that they were nearing land. So they took a sounding and they found 20 fathoms. A little farther on they took a sounding and found 15 fathoms. Fearing that we might run on the rocks, they let down four anchors from the stern. Four anchors from the stern and prayed for days to come. And as the sailors were seeking to escape from the ship and had lowered the ship's boat into the sea under pretense of laying out anchors from the bow, Paul said to the centurion and to the soldiers, unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. I want to preach to you this morning the four anchors in a storm. Father, I pray this morning that you would help me as I share with this congregation what you have shown me in the Scriptures. Lord, these points, these things that you have shown me, I pray that they will relate. And Lord, that others may see what I have seen in your Word. They may take heart and they may apply it to their life. I thank you, Lord, for the Word of God, which is so powerful and I ask God that you would let it be a heart changer today. Lift up and encourage those that need it in Jesus' wonderful name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated, but y'all don't get sleepy on me. I may have y'all get back up here in a minute. How to deal with a shipwreck. Four anchors of faith. You know, I think about strength for the journey. That's really what you need. You need you're in a journey in life, and you really need to know how do we guard, how do we keep ourselves strong. You've heard of the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Luke was a doctor. He was a physician. This book that we just read in Acts was written by the physician, Dr. Luke. He was there in Acts chapter 2. He was in that upper room when the baptism of the Holy Spirit fell. And they experienced something like what we experienced this morning, where the tongues came and the interpretation came, and there were tongues of fire upon every head, and there was a sound of a rushing mighty wind. Luke was the author who wrote what he saw there, and that's how we know exactly what happened in that upper room. Now he's on this trip with Paul, and they are headed to Rome. 
It starts off as a Mediterranean cruise, but it turns into Gilligan's Island. I mean, Paul was the only one on this ship. He's the only one that's been told, been promised that he's going to live through it. There's 275 other passengers that are on this boat. The circumstances look bad. What I'm saying is none of the rest of them knew they were going to be saved, only Paul. But Luke writes this eyewitness account of faith here for us to read. If Paul was of weak faith, he might have let the other people's panic make him forget God's promise. He might have said, well, I know the angel appeared to me and spoke to me, but you know, I'm just so panicked because they're afraid I'm going to be afraid. But no, Paul had something inside of him where he was able to hold on to God. He may have been on that ship and listened to that ancient wood as it creaked and groaned overnight and he might have looked at the wood bulging and the winds, waves crashing up over the, the sea. And you know, even though Luke wrote, he said, we had abandoned all hope. Maybe Paul could have been included in that. He may have thought about, oh, I could have abandoned all hope. But he kept his eyes on God and off of his circumstances. Paul had been placed in the custody of a centurion named Julius because he was being sent to Rome to plead his case to Caesar. Every Roman citizen had the right to appear before Caesar. Paul was accused of preaching the gospel, basically, but he was being accused of other things. And he chose to say, I'm a Roman, you can't put me to death, I appeal to Caesar. So that's why they're taking this trip. They probably started in August, but the shipwreck we're going to talk about made them stay for three months on the Isle of Malta. Meteorologists tell us that when a storm blows up south of Greece... It can be some of the worst storms in the world. The sailors there were experienced sailors, but you have to remember they're on ancient ships. They don't have the technology that we have today, even, and even today with the technology we have, we cannot survive some of the storms out on the seas. So these men took down the sails so the wind didn't blow them off course, and they're just bobbling back and forth, floating in that boat. Paul tries to convince the pilot of the ship and the centurion, why don't you go to a harbor called Fair Havens? Now, that's not necessarily in your scripture, but that is in what Josephus teaches us uh, in, in the tradition. He had a word from God that this voyage was going to fail, so he's trying to get them to take the boat to Fair Havens. But the centurion and the pilot decided, we're going to try to reach the harbor of Phoenix on the Isle of Crete. If the centurion had commanded the pilot to listen to Paul, they probably would have survived the storm. They never would have had the wreck, but he put everybody in danger. Now, you've heard of El Nino. You've heard of uh, some of these, uh, these storms. This storm, these winds, are called Uraquilo. And this is something that happens even today from time to time. Uraquilo, it's, a, it's kind of a perfect storm. There was about 15, 20 years ago a movie with Mark Wahlberg and... George Clooney called the perfect storm. It was about sailors who went out to the ocean off of the eastern coast to fish, and they were caught in one of the worst combinations of wind and wave patterns ever. Well, that's kind of what this Uraquillo was. This storm that he was in was so bad, they were throwing boxes overboard, and it was so scary that the soldiers wanted to drown the prisoners just because they didn't want that responsibility of having to watch the prisoners, they were willing to kill all the prisoners just so they could save themselves. 
Sailors at that time, and even today, used the stars to navigate. But with the thick black storm clouds, they couldn't even tell what was east or west. They couldn't tell which way they were going. And this storm didn't just blow over in a few hours. It stuck around for days. So they couldn't navigate out of it. They couldn't sail out of it. The sails would catch too much wind. They couldn't raise the sails. They couldn't just use the oars because they didn't know which direction to go. There was nothing to do but ride it out. Finally, on this one little bit of hope, this one ray of hope, on the 14th night, the sailors figured out that they were near some kind of land, and they used a thing called sounding. It's a way the ancient sailors would drop over something, and they could tell how far, how many fathoms. It was a measurement, how far off or how deep it was. So they got afraid of the wind. They were worried about it driving them onto the rocks if they got too close So they put out four anchors, and they decided to wait until daylight. So all night long, they stayed anchored there. They were listening to that boat creak and groan, worried that the anchors might fail them. They might be thrown onto the rocks, and they might die right there within sight of land. But somewhere down deep, Paul had God's promise. Paul, you will go to Rome, and you will proclaim me. Paul needed strength for the journey. He needed to know, God, how am I going to get through this? And you've probably been in life storms just as I have. And it may have gone on more than just the two weeks that Paul suffered through this one. They may go on for months or years. And sometime during that storm, sometime you may tell your family members, I am so worried. I'm not saying this morning that if you're not a superman or superwoman of faith, that you are displeasing God. Because sometimes your circumstances seem that way where you're in the middle of an ocean liner in the huge middle of an an ocean and there's nothing you can do. You may wonder where God is. Your storm gets worse and worse. You can't navigate. You don't know your way out of it. You can't do anything. It looks like God is just rearranging deck chairs as you've been praying and praying, God, would you help me? Come on, God, fix me. And so you start throwing things overboard in a panic. Sometimes people throw church overboard. Sometimes people throw their morals overboard. They throw their commitments overboard. They throw their ministry overboard. They say, you know, I've got to throw everything off of me so that I can survive this. I've got to get rid of everything. What you have to remember is that you're not alone. Because God is not a deadbeat dad. God is not a dad that's just going to sit and watch like some God from the movies that sits off on a throne and just throws thunderbolts and, and, and hardly ever pays attention to what's going on. God is not absent. He's not a stone-faced God that's sitting up in heaven watching how you handle things. He hasn't left you alone. He has given you some ways to get through it. And I want to share them with you this morning. The first way you can get through it First thing that you may need this morning is you'll need the Word of God. These people in Luke's story had no hope. I mean, there were times in our life when it feels like it's easy to give up hope. It's during these gut-wrenching times that you need to hear God's voice that says, Don't be afraid. I'm right here. In this world you will have tribulation, God said. Jesus said these words. But what else did he say? Fear not, for I have overcome the world. 
The storms may carry off some folks, those people that have not anchored themselves in the Word. We were talking about it in Sunday school. I was listening in Sunday school as it was being talked about this morning, about how some people can be carried along with the currents of life because they have not anchored themselves in the Word. And so because things happen, they give themselves over. Because they're in a storm, they may give in to addiction or they may turn their back on, on obedience and start diving into sin instead of drawing closer to God. Or they may even drown in suicide because they have not anchored themselves in the hope-giving and life-giving Word of God. Luke stood there and he listened to everything Paul said and Luke wrote it down word for word. In verse 23, Paul told the sailors and the soldiers and the passengers on the boat, he said, an angel stood in front of me and gave me a promise from God. God said, do not be afraid, Paul. You're going to stand before Caesar and I have given you every soul on this boat. Not one of them is going to perish. So Paul told everybody. They didn't know his God. Many of them were not Christians, most of them were not Christians. Paul and Luke and, and uh, their friend we may have been the only three Christians on board. But Paul was saying, my God has told us that we're not going down. God said in Isaiah 43, 1 and 2, He said, do not be afraid, I have called you by name, you are mine. I like what the scriptures tell us. If you go back and you look in the scriptures, the Bible tells us that God keeps us in the palm of his hand. It's like he has us written upon the palm of his hand. Why would God say that he has us written on the palm of his hand? Have you ever gone through a day without looking down at your hands? And No, you haven't. Because God keeps us near so that he can look and see us and say, They are mine. They are sheltered in the palm of my hand. I have them there. There's nothing that can touch them. When you go through the sea, I am with you, he said in Isaiah 43. When you go through the rivers, they will not sweep you away. When you walk through the fires, you will not be burned, and the flames will not harm you. Now, was Isaiah talking about real flames and real flood? He may have been for some people. But I believe Isaiah was speaking figuratively that you and I can trust him through even the worst circumstances in life. We can walk with Him through the worst things that we have to walk through. When your trouble gets too deep and it makes you want to quit swimming and give up, that's when you just need to put yourself in God's hands. God always says, it's all right. I'm right there with you. Some people say, well, I don't hear His voice, preacher. I don't have no angel that comes to my house and tells me these promises. I don't even feel the Holy Ghost there to comfort me. I pray, but heaven seems silent. Here's what I want to share with you. God has gifted us with the word. He has gifted us with a copy of every word that he has ever said. You know what the devil's famous for? He's famous for lying. He's a liar, God said. But you know what? God wrote down everything that he has ever said in his word to us. Because he's made promises to us. And he says, just take out your Bible and put it on your lap. And I double dog dare you to believe me. Because I'm promising you that I'm going to be there for you. I'm not ever going to change. You see, you have to be confident that nothing is too big for God. We feel the limitations around us. But today, you can, sell, you can say, you know, we'd say to God, you can't do this in this timing or God, you haven't shown yourself to do this in a time when I need it. God always keeps His promises. And 
Many times we're, we're all bound by this timing thing or we're bound by this circumstance thing. I've known people, I had a lady at the hospital the other day, she came up to me and she caught me in the hallway after I had prayed with her family and she didn't want to say something in front of her husband. She caught me in the hallway and she said, we're, we're it's big alligator tears rolling down her face. She said, my husband and I are about to go through a divorce and you know, we had just been praying for their oldest daughter, who's 21 years old, and in the hospital, she has lupus, and she's been through about her eighth surgery this year, and, and they have four other kids beside this one girl that's been so sick, and she said, we're about to go through a divorce, and I told her, I said, you know, there's nothing you can do about that because you can't change his will, your husband's will, and you may end up breaking the marriage. The marriage may be broken, but don't give up. Because what is broken, God can restore. And I told her, our timing, sometimes we think that God has to work in this timing. What you just need to do is you just keep trusting God. You keep walking with God. You keep believing God. Because God will bring you through it. Someone years ago counted up all the promises of God. And it was 7,474 promises. That's a lot of promises. 66 books of the Bible. That adds up to 113 promises per book on average. Some of those promises involve the end times that have not been fulfilled. Some of those promises involve Israel during the end times that have not been fulfilled. But we know that all of the promises of God that He has given according to the church until the end times all have been fulfilled. God is not constrained by human perspective. God is not constrained by time or space. His panoramic view is from above. It expands back before Genesis 1 and 1, and it goes far beyond what we have in Revelation chapter 21 and 22. It goes far beyond. The unfolding of His plan will happen because He is God and He has said it. Everybody seems to be waiting for something, waiting for an answer, for a prayer, for our answer. Uh, unsaved loved ones people are waiting for relief for relief from the pain and the pressure they feel in their body or in their life that they're facing but the people that are the happiest are the ones that are able to wait on God even when they're facing trials and troubles God never forgets his promises pastor of a Russian Baptist church he would not stop preaching during the days of the Soviet Union he would not stop preaching about Jesus Communists didn't believe in Jesus. They believed that if you preached Jesus, you were preaching disobedience to the government. And so they put him in prison. And in this prison, he was there for eight years. He slept on a concrete floor near an open toilet. And in this Siberian prison where the temperatures dropped well below zero at night, there was not very good heating, he lived on tea and soup. All he had with him was a copy of his Bible. He wrote a book from prison called My Testament from Prison. And in that book, he didn't tell how the guards had beat him almost daily and were cruel to him in the games that they played. In this book, he didn't talk about the diseases in the prison because of the conditions or the lack of medicine. He didn't talk about the guards taking bribes and taking money so that one prisoner could beat up another prisoner or the violent men that were taking, uh, taking from other prisoners in the prison. He wrote about the beauty of the Siberian winter that he saw from his prison cell. 
He wrote about the happiness he felt every time he got a letter from his wife or from his children. He wrote about his deep conversations with God. He wrote about the peace he found in God's Word. You would think that this man was living in a penthouse overlooking the Rocky Mountains. But it was written by a man whose body was in prison, but his heart was not. Friend, this morning, I don't know what you're walking through. I don't know what valley you're facing. I don't know what prison you've been imprisoned in by your circumstances. But you need to see out of the bars of that prison this morning that God is your hope. God is your strength. That He is coming and He is on His way. And He's going to let you out. Mark chapter 13 and 31. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall never pass away. You can trust His word. I've told people for years. I said, what do you do? How do you remember His word? You carry your Bible around with you? Tell you what I do a lot of times is not only on my my iPhone, I carry it with me everywhere, but when I'm at home and I have a mirror where I get ready in my restroom, my bathroom, there on my mirror I've got taped uh, my, my youngest son. I'm really praying that God will do some great things in his life. And, and uh, he's not a, a, an open sinner, but he is some, facing some doubts about his faith. And here he is, 18 years old. So I've taped some scriptures on my mirror, every morning when I see him, train up a child in the way that he shall go. And when he is old, he shall not depart from them. I'm quoting those scriptures when I see him every day. If I walk to my refrigerator, on our refrigerator, we have some other scriptures, other circumstances that we're praying about. We have scriptures on, a, on our microwave. I mean, me, we have probably more scriptures on the microwave and refrigerator, you can tell. Uh, that's where we go the most. But you need to put the Word of God in a place where you can go to it and say, I know what God has said, and I'm going to trust Him. Secondly, let me move on this morning. Another anchor that we need to stay strong is other people. Paul knew they needed each other. So he said in verse 31, he said, unless we all remain together in this ship, we can't be saved. Verse 31, unless we remain together. These sailors have been veterans of many storms. I mean, they had... They had been ready to let down the lifeboats and only a few of them could get away. These soldiers had fought many battles, but here they were. They were ready to swim to shore. I mean, we're talking about veteran sailors and soldiers. They are afraid. They feel like they're going to die. Everybody here is looking out for number one. And that's not the way to survive a shipwreck. A lot of people treat storms of life that way. Somebody at church hurts their feelings. They just don't come back to that church. They walk through a little bit of trouble. They go home and pull the shades and lock the door and turn the iPhone off and get out a gallon of Yarnell's ice cream and a thing of chocolate syrup. Just sit there and watch reruns of Chuck Norris and Walker, Texas Ranger. People that get corrected or sent home by their boss for making dumb choices. They quit their job. Well, I was looking for a job when I found this one. When really, what we need is we need a little humility. We need to say, you know what? I need other folks. People cut their friends loose. People run away from people who could help them when they're going through a storm. Now, I'm not saying it's not right. Sometimes God wants you to get alone, a little time of prayer and fasting. That's good for you. It's good for your soul. But the worst thing that you need when you get in trouble is to isolate yourself. You know what happens when somebody commits a crime? They put them in prison. 
When somebody in prison commits a crime, they put them in isolation. Because isolation is the worst punishment that we have besides death. When you isolate yourself, you're basically putting yourself in a deep, dark prison. And you're punishing yourself. You need to come out and get a hold of other people and let them help you. God said, it is not good for a man to be alone. That's why he gave us our spouses and our friends and our families. Proverbs 17 and 17, a friend always loves and a brother is born to share your troubles. We need to put that in our heart. Now, you may not call everybody with your troubles because somebody may say, I'm going to get on the prayer chain and tell everybody your troubles. I heard some amens out there. But you need to tell your troubles to other folks. Ecclesiastes 4 and 12, a triple braided cord is not easily broken. Stanford psychologist Philip Zimbardo, he said, isolating yourself has been shown to be a central part of depression, murder, schizophrenia, rape, suicide, and a wide variety of diseases. Common factor in all of those, being alone with your own thoughts. Being alone with your own troubles. You know, in the movie Rambo, Rambo goes to the gun store, goes in there and buys, you know, maybe steals or grabs himself a big couple of guns and comes out all by himself and shoots up a whole army of bad guys. And that's supposed to be the way to go. Or, you know, you may see Walker, Texas Ranger, and he kicks everybody in the whole bar's tail in and he wins the battle all by himself. Or then you got the Lone Ranger who rides against the, all the bad guys. There's no Lone Rangers in the kingdom of God. There is nobody that is a superhero in the kingdom of God. We all need one another. Jesus said in Matthew 18 and 19, If two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything they shall ask, it shall be done for them by my Father in heaven. I'm not just talking about the natural strength that you get from somebody else. I'm talking about the spiritual power that you get from heaven. When you allow somebody else to pray with you and say, Help me. Third anchor of faith this morning is prayer. Acts 27, 35, Paul took some bread, he thanked God in front of everybody, he began to eat. Notice what it says in the next verse. Everyone was encouraged and had something to eat also. Remember, they didn't know his God, had no idea who his God was. But there was something about Paul praying, something about God giving, or Paul giving thanks to God. Here in the midst of all this trouble that encouraged everybody. I mean, can you imagine fighting that storm and not eating anything? They hadn't eaten anything in a long time. Some people would get car sick just riding down to Walmart. But can you imagine trying to eat and being tossed all around that boat? You'd be so weak you can't even stand. Here's all these people that are about half sick. And that's how some people try to get through life's storms spiritually. They don't eat. They don't take the bread, the daily bread of God and His Word. They don't take that daily communion with God in prayer. They don't get spiritual nourishment. And so when their circumstances come, they are so spiritually weak, they're able to fall down almost with hunger. Many of these people didn't know anything about God, but they were ready to pray. They were ready to try anything. That was probably the first time in their life that many of them had prayed. But they felt encouraged as Paul led them in prayer. There's a lot of people that go through the storm and give themselves to excuses. I'm too mad or I'm too hurt to pray right now. 
or I'm too busy to pray, you know, I've got to work harder because I'm in a financial mess and I've just got to go work and work two jobs, three jobs and just keep working myself to death. Get, you know what, if you would just take a little time to pray, I believe God would help you out of that. I've heard it's old Abraham Lincoln said if he was given four hours to go and chop down a tree, he would take three hours to sharpen his axe. Prayer is the life's blood of faith. People wonder, how does this all get away from me? As a pastor, I've seen people lost their spouse. You know, they, their spouse just lost spiritual hunger because they stopped praying. They stopped reading their word. wasn't long before they dropped out of church. And I've seen them divorce because one lost their hunger for God. One lost their desire. A lot of times their kids don't go to church because mom and dad have laid out a church. And what happens? Their kids get away from God. So how did it all happen so fast? It didn't happen overnight. A lot of these storms come on us because we have not prayed. Well, I just don't have any faith right now to pray. Well, dumb, dumb, that's exactly the opposite of how it works. How did you come to trust your babysitter? I mean, how do you know, how can you leave your baby alone with your babysitters? Because you got to know your babysitter. You had your babysitter over for dinner. You got and talked to them. You had some good references, and you trust them. That's the same way it is with God. How do you know when you can place the most valuable things in your life in God's hands? Because you spent time with Him. Lastly, you build your faith in the storm. You cast out the anchor of trusting God. What happens when you've read your Bible, you stayed in church, you were with God's people, you've told other people to pray with you, you prayed? What happens when you've done all that, but you're near the rocks, and you're worried that your ship's going to go down? That's what happened to Paul. They had thrown out the anchors, but the boat still crashed. Acts 27, 41, the ship hit the reef, the boat started taking on water, and it was going down. Wasn't much to do at that point except trust God. Now everybody was panicking. The soldiers said, kill the prisoners. Because, you know, the, if the soldiers, in those days, if the soldiers that were responsible for a certain amount of prisoners, if the prisoners got loose and got free, then the soldier himself would be killed. So the centurion, he's persuading them not to. And that was a good thing because Paul and Luke were one of those prisoners. The centurion said, everybody who can swim, jump in get to land and they made it to shore on those planks he said sink or swim verse 44 says they all safely made it to shore sometimes you don't have any other choice just let the ship go down and jump in and trust God the ship is going down you don't know why you put out all the anchors you did what you're supposed to do but evidently God's plan involves sinking your ship that's not easy to deal with. Friend, I'm not talking about kindergarten faith this morning. I'm not talking about the milk of the word. I'm talking about believing and eating some meat here this morning. Sometimes the ship just goes down. It's easy when people on Facebook say, well, our thoughts and our prayers are with you. That's a very nice sentiment. But I wish we would all stop and really take that time and pray. Truth is, life is tough. You may lose that job that you wanted. 
you may have read and stayed close to the church and prayed and man you put yourself out there and you applied for this job and you thought it was your job and somebody else came along and they got the job or maybe you're at a job and you lost your job you got put on uh, you laid off temporarily and it ended up being a long deal or maybe your kids disappoint you maybe your kids have done some things you've prayed you've placed them on the altar you've You've done everything you know to do to raise them. But they make some disappointing choices. Maybe your spouse. You've prayed. I mean, you've taken every promise from God. You've laid it out there and prayed. And, and you've said, God, take my spouse. But you still hit the rocks. God will not let you perish. The ship may still go down, but listen to this. How many started this trip with Paul and Luke? 276. How many were promised by God? 276. How many made it safely to shore? 276. God is faithful. They went through the worst storm that probably could have happened in an old ancient ship. Every one of them made it. And maybe you have to admit this morning that you've made some mistakes. Maybe that's why your ship is going to crash. You know, I don't know what it is, but it's 21 years of pastoring. I've seen people that have ran their boats up on the rocks. And then they've asked God, why did this happen? I pray every time God give them the wisdom to see why this happened. Maybe you ran your ship up on the rocks. But that doesn't mean that God is going to forsake you. That doesn't mean that God's going to leave you to it. God this morning says, turn to me. Trust in me. Put it in my hands. I'll take you and I'll get you out of that. Wait on the Lord and I'm closing. I can see the airport from here. Got my flaps down, my, my landing gear down. Isaiah 40, 31. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. Wait on Him. You don't know the best answer. I don't know the best answer. Don't go out and do something stupid. Wait on the Lord. Wait until you have the urging from Him that tells you what needs to be done. Wait until you hear from Him that nothing needs to be done. But wait on the Lord. Trust in the Lord. Continue to be obedient. Don't let bitterness take control of your life. Keep on praying. Keep that well, that spirit inside of you sweet. Keep believing God. Rest on His Word. While you wait. Understand this morning. Even in disappointment. God has a purpose. Even in disappointment. God has a purpose. You know the tea kettle. It doesn't sing. Until it's in hot water. Sometimes. God may have to get you in hot water. Before you get your song back. God may have to get you to the place where you're ready to depend on Him again. I don't know the reason for what you're going through this morning. But I know who can take care of it. When you don't know what to do, you need to know where to go. This morning, where you need to go is you need to go to this altar. And I'm going to ask Sister Marilyn to come back if she would. This morning, what you've got to do is you've got to say to God, Lord, I'm going to put up my anchors. 
Maybe you've already hit the rocks, but maybe you're not quite there yet, and you can see them from here. What you need to do, friends, you need to put those anchors back out. You need to get back into that Word. Get back in the promises of God. Take those promises. Put that Bible in your lap. You're not feeling it. You don't feel that God is right there with you in that moment. Put the Word in your lap. Read the promise. God's Word will take a new life in you. Trust other people. Find you some prayer partners, some people that you can trust. Go to them and tell them, Hey, I'm walking through something. I need you to pray with me. I need you to trust God with me. Thirdly, you need to go back to praying on a regular basis. Not just a maintenance prayer, but a prayer that says, God, I, I wholly depend on you. I wholly need you with everything I have. I can do nothing without you. God will respond to that humility. And he will raise you up. Fourthly, you don't know what to do? Trust him. Wait on him. Believe him. Put it in his hands. He can handle it. Amen. You believe that this morning? I'm going to ask you to bow your heads with me. I'm going to ask you to think about this. Maybe you don't need to think long. You're here this morning, and there's an opportunity for you just to come and lay it on the altar. There's an opportunity for you just to say, God, I don't understand everything about this, but I know you do. And I'm going to lay it right here before you. My finances, my children, my marriage, my business, whatever it is that I'm having issues with. I'm in the midst of a storm midst of a shipwreck and I need you can I put it in your hands this morning I'm not going to belabor this but I'm just going to say this this morning you need to get out of your seat you come and find a place this morning come on friend come lay it in the altar lay it on the altar let the Lord be your anointer and your healer this morning lay it before him you that are back if you see somebody God directs you to come pray with please come pray with them please come and pray with them come on friend let's pray let's make it a time of prayer for a few minutes here